Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for June 15th, 2018. On today's episode, we'll read a brief email in the mailbag and talk about today's film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Storetta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, so yesterday on the podcast... uh, I made a little bit of a stupid uh, statement. We were talking about that scene in Indiana Jones where Marion was, uh, you know, having a drinking contest. And I, you know, just on top of my head, I was like, I wonder if they, when they, because Disney's making a new Indiana Jones, I wonder if they would allow that kind of drinking in a Disney movie. And uh, Ben, I think it was you that, you know, couldn't come up with uh, another example of drinking in Disney movies. Uh, but our readers <laughs> heard us, and they they replied. Uh, we actually got a, quite a few emails, but uh, I will. Uh, Leanne R from L.A. was the one that probably had the most extensive list, which included Coco, Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty, Tangled, Pirates in Par- Pirates of the Caribbean movies. So uh, yes, Disney does allow drinking in movies. Uh, I don't know why why I was uh, even thinking in that direction. Uh, but yeah, so anyways, uh, let's move on to the news. First up, uh, the, the peak TV is now in its peak and the streaming wars are on. Apple is making some big plays to get into that business, uh, announcing that they are now in the movie business and have signed Oprah Winfrey. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so Apple hasn't actually officially made the announcement about the movie business yet. Yesterday, uh, Bloomberg released a report that said that a deal is near for Apple to acquire the rights to an animated movie as part of the company's upcoming slate of original video offerings. And we don't know much about this movie uh, because it doesn't exist yet. It actually has yet to be made and is more than a year from release. Uh, But Apple is reportedly in talks with a company called Cartoon Saloon, which is an animated 
animation studio that's based in Ireland that has released three movies so far. Uh, 2009's The Secret of Kells, 2014's Song of the Sea, and last year's The Breadwinner. And all of three of those movies earned Oscar nominations. So um, it sounds like Apple is is looking to try to get into the original movie game as well as uh, the original TV game. You know, we've we've been yeah. talking a lot about all the different TV shows that they've been putting into production and, and trying to uh, set up. But this is the first we've heard about them uh, theoretically jumping into the movie world. The report also says that uh, other, quote, other potential movies are also in the works for Apple. So they don't say whether that means other animated, you know, animation movies or if that's live action stuff that they're considering. Um, but yeah, it's still early days. Again, we don't know how any of this content is uh, content is going to be distributed to audiences, but they, they do say that uh, the plan right now, according to Bloomberg sources, is for this movie to theoretically go into theaters, potentially for uh, an Oscar a qualifying run so it can be nominated for an Academy Award. This is very interesting because, I, I mean, we knew that Apple was going to get into the streaming television game. And, you know, I, I assumed eventually they were going to make, you know, movies for that platform. But if they're also getting into the theatrical world, that is uh, not something I had expected from Apple. Um, Brad, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, you know, honestly, like, we talked about this a little bit on Slack yesterday. I'm not really excited about anything Apple is doing until they have something to show for it. Uh, they're, they're they're announcing a bunch of stuff all the time that they're making, but they're not showing us any of it yet. Like, I'll, I'll get excited once I actually see what they're doing. Brad, the- have, haven't you seen Carpool Karaoke? Uh, yeah, I, I, I have. And whew, let me tell you, it gave me all the confidence in the world that Apple is going to turn out some really impressive quality <laughs> Like the, the, the thing is, Apple's hiring all the right people for sure. But like right now, it's all perspective excitement, and like I need something like to I need to see something. I I, I want to, you know, get a glimpse at some of these shows, get a, get a sneak peek at what they're doing, so that way I can have actually something to get excited about. Right now, it's just Apple saying we, we're going to do it. We promise. Yeah, and and just to sort of piggyback on top of that and and to circle back around to what Peter mentioned in the beginning, one of the latest deals that they announced is a production deal with Oprah Winfrey. And that's like a huge deal because, I mean, obviously, Oprah is like one of the most famous people on planet Earth. So this new announcement, uh, which just came out today, says that Apple is going to be teaming up with Oprah to create original programs that embrace her incomparable ability to connect with audiences around the world. So basically, while Oprah already has her own TV network, it's actually called own the Oprah Oprah Winfrey Network OWN. Um, this Oprah Apple deal does not conflict with her duties there, and she's going to be able to produce and maybe even occasionally appear on camera in whatever these projects are that she has in the works for Apple. So again, I don't know if that theoretically could be movies because Oprah's produced a handful of movies before. I mean, she produced Selma um, in 2014. That was Ava DuVernay's a big sort of breakout movie. So. Um, it's possible that she's maybe going to be making movies with Apple, but uh, TV seems like um, a guarantee at this point. I'm kind of wondering if Oprah still holds the the market share that she once did, because, you know, when she had her TV show, it seemed like she was unstoppable. She had an influence that, like, unrivaled anybody else in the United States, at least. Uh, but, you know, her network, OWN, uh hasn't done that well i know they sold it or sold uh, a bunch of it to discovery um you know she starred in uh 
Wrinkle in Time. That didn't do very well. Um, do, do you think having Oprah nowadays, is, is that still a thing that it, is that as powerful as it once was? I think so. I think Oprah still matters. If you look at how crazy everyone went when she delivered that Golden Globe speech, I think that was late last year or maybe I think, yeah, it was like right before the Oscars last year. Um, you know, people were like chanting for her to become the next president. There was like a whole thing. So everybody still loves Oprah. And I think but as I, long as she gets the right projects around her uh, and maybe if she's just in a producer role or something like that, that, you know, maybe she could um, she could guide things from behind the scenes. But also, yeah, if she if she decides to appear in something, if it's the right project, I think people will definitely be interested. Yeah. I think that's the problem is I don't think people care what she's producing, but if she's in it, I think it, it might, uh, you know, move the needle some. Right. Um, but yeah, let's move on to uh, the movie coming out this week, Gaudy, which is coming in out in limited release. Uh, this is the film starring uh, John Travolta as uh, the famous uh, crime boss, John Gotti. Um, and it is, uh, you know, it's only out in select markets. Uh, it only has, I think, 13 re- reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, but it only has a 0% rating, which is very hard to get in Rotten Tomatoes. I think only a couple, do- a few dozen films uh, have gotten that, at least uh, with 20 reviews. This has not gotten 20 reviews yet. Um, it, I don't know. It, it's, it's very hard to get a critical, con- critical consensus either way of, you know, getting that 100% or 0 so I, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, if there's a film in theaters in major markets that you can see this weekend that every critic hated. <laughs> it's interesting because this movie is directed by, uh, what is his name, Connolly, Kevin Connolly, who played E on Entourage. And you know if Entourage was still on TV, this would 100% be a plot line in that show with, you know, with modern the way that uh, the modern entertainment industry works. Rotten Tomatoes would definitely factor into an episode of Entourage. It, uh, it just probably wouldn't be with Vinny Chase and those characters uh, being involved in a movie. So it's sort of um, amusing on that level. And, and not so or coincidentally, it, it's, you know, premiering at a time where there's Aquaman trailers in theater or, you know, right. going to theaters, but it should be mentioned. The audience score is 86% liked it with an average rating of 4.3 out of five. That's a uh, over 6,000 people have rated it. So, uh, you know, critics are, uh, traditionally, I think more critical as the name implies, um, <laughs> uh, of movies than average audience goers. But uh, th- this this rating has honestly gotten me interested in seeing what kind of mess this movie is. But uh, yeah, anyways, every, uh, if you're in a major market, you can check out Gaudi in theaters. Uh, not that we or anybody recommends it. <laughs> Yeah, literally no one recommends it. <laughs> uh, let's move on to uh, Avengers Infinity War and or, or actually the writers of Avengers Infinity War. And they were recently asked how to fix the DC universe. Brad, what did they say? Uh, they said just to throw it away. We're done here. Game over. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so th- they weren't they weren't necessarily asked. um like to fix it, but they were asked what they might do if they were in the position that uh, Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment find themselves, if they were given the task of trying to get it back on track. Um, they appeared on Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman podcast uh, to talk about everything, Infinity War and other sorts of nerdy things. And obviously, 
their topic of conversation turned to DC Comics and the state of the DC Extended Universe. And Kevin Smith asked them how they might, you know, change things with the DCU. Uh, and this is what, um, sorry, uh, Christopher Marcus said. He said, uh, I would look at what Marvel did out of necessity in that they didn't have their A-list characters. They didn't have Spider-Man. They didn't have X-Men. They went down the line and found, you know, he's, uh, he's pretty fucking famous. He's Iron Man, but he wasn't there. And they made a really good movie out of it. I might put Batman and Superman and everybody else, with the exception of Wonder Woman, aside for a second, go through the vast world and go, that guy or that girl, and go, let's just make a really good movie and not a universe and see what happens. There's a lot of spaghetti being thrown at the wall. And as we've seen with all the movies that DC constantly announces and never follows through on uh, or seems to constantly drag their feet on, they're really just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And it seems like more often than not, they keep trying to just reboot their core characters. You know, obviously Batman and Superman, they're big deals and you want them to be having big presence on the, on, you know, the big screen. But DC has so many characters that haven't yet been given their due diligence that could make for great movie characters. And so like, you have to start digging in and figure out something that people can latch onto and try and build something from there. You know, uh, like even after Iron Man was a success, Marvel Studios wasn't sure that Avengers was going to work. You know, they had to think about plans if Captain America bombed or if Thor bombed and things like that. And so I just feel like there's the for all the foresight the studio is trying to I have by plan a cinematic universe for Justice League. It doesn't really seem like they have enough foresight to figure out the best way to make this work without getting everybody's hopes up and then crushing them with disappointment. I don't know. I think the the most disappointing thing about all this is I, I think everybody's reading into this that, like, you know, we shouldn't be planning these cinematic universes, that we should just, like, you know, uh, wing it. And I, I know, you know, with this and Dark Universe, uh, it certainly seems like that's probably the better approach. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I just think that everybody's been doing it poorly. Um, I don't think like, you know, not having long term plans is is the right way of going in any kind of way of life. No, for sure. You, you can have long term plans, but you don't have to, like, set them all up in your first movie out. And then, yeah. you know, that plan doesn't work out. Have all those you know threads <laughs> lingering that don't go anywhere. No, I, I certainly agree there. Um, let's talk about uh, – let's go from DC to Marvel. And Captain Marvel is in production right now. And uh, Disney has just announced that it will be the first major comic book movie to be scored by a woman. Ben, who is scoring Captain Marvel? Yes, a composer named Pinar Toprak. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Sorry if that's wrong. Uh, she is going to be uh, providing the score for Captain Marvel. So like you mentioned, this is the first female composer to score a major comic book movie. So that's a, a pretty huge deal. And um, she is right now, you might recognize her work. She does the score for the sci-fi series Krypton. So she has some experience composing for uh, superhero content just for the small screen instead of the big screen. So this is a big deal for Marvel. Um, it's a big deal because also because, you know, Captain Marvel is the first movie that has a, a solo female superhero getting her own, you know, major movie um, from that studio. And for them to, uh, to, you know, tap a female composer is a, is a pretty cool thing. I have to admit when I saw this, I was like, wow, I am so, out of the loop on composers that I couldn't even name any female composers. And I don't know if that's just me and I'm like, so in the dark on that. I don't know. Do you guys know, would you be able to 
name, you know, two or three female composers off the top of your head? Huh. Um. No. No. Sadly. Okay. So I'm, gl- I'm glad that means that it's not just me, but that also sounds like there's a, a larger problem with the industry if that's if that's the case, because we know that obviously women are capable of being talented composers. So uh, this, yeah, definitely seems like a, a step in the right direction. It's it's kind of a cool thing. And you can um, HT wrote this article on the site, and you can listen to. Uh, Ms. Toprak's score for Krypton, and she embedded it in the article there. And I'd recommend going and checking it out and getting a, maybe a, a little bit of a taste of what we might be able to expect when Captain Marvel comes out in March of next year. It, it's funny that I, I really am I'm, I'm racking my brain and I can't think of a female film composer, but I can think of films that were composed by female composers like Jackie. I remember the original Tron movie was composed by a, a female composer. Uh, uh, I'm one, even. I even went and looked up female film composers and the the names I, I like I don't even recognize. Yeah, I mean that, that, that's a bigger problem. I, I I just think it should always be the case that we should that like if they're you know trying to get a composer for a movie or a filmmaker for a movie, we should look at like you know maybe not fifty fifty, but a good handful of you know from both sides of the aisle and consider. I don't know. It just seems stupid. Yeah. No. I. I think you're totally right, but I think the the fact that neither none of us could name any female composers. Oh, it's a problem. I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm guessing there are a lot of people, you know, making major decisions in Hollywood who also will have that same problem. So I think, uh, you know, the idea that that Pinar Toprak is going to be um, composing this movie hopefully will make her a household name and will put her on those lists for like next time any superhero movie needs a composer, people could throw her name in the hat instead of just going to you know the typical you know Hans Zimmer. Uh, whoever you know yeah. go to guys um so yeah i think that's like it, it's all moving in that direction it's just uh it's a slow slow process. let's move over to tv and talk about star trek discovery which uh originally had brian fuller as the showrunner he got replaced uh during uh the early production and uh now the new showrunners have also been replaced brad what is going on here yeah so star trek discovery is in the middle of production on their second season and apparently they've had some hiccups with the showrunning team of Gretchen Berg and Aaron Harbert. They have now been removed from the series uh, as they were uh, finishing the fifth episode of season two. Um, one of the first problems was that apparently the second season premiere went way over budget and they had to use some money that was supposed to be used for later episodes in the season to help pay for it. However, the larger issue that seems to be the biggest problem is that Berg and Harberts uh, are apparent have been increasingly abusive with their writing staff. Um, a report from the Hollywood Reporter says that in addition to Harberts apparently uh, leaning across the writers' table and shouting an expletive at one of the writers during a meeting, uh, as well as trying to keep the staff from complaining to human resources about it. Uh, Hollywood Reporter says multiple writers are said to have been uncomfortable working on the series and had threatened to file a complaint with human resources or quit the series altogether before informing Kurtz, uh, Alex Kurtzman, executive producer of the show, of the issues surrounding Berg and Harberts. After hearing rumors of HR complaints, Harberts is said to have threatened the staff to keep concerns with the production an internal matter. So it really seems like. Well, 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 Berg well, and well Harberts... to be fair here, Brad, the writing on the show has been pretty bad. <laughs> Oh it was a God. joke. That that was a joke. I'm sorry. 
Uh, I haven't watched any of Star Trek Discovery, so I can't say. But apparently, if you write poorly, Peter's going to start yelling at you. So we need to be careful at the classroom from now on. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I guess this was just uh, too much um, for CBS to deal with. And so the, the showrunners have been let go. And now Alex Kurtzman, uh, who has been executive producing the series since the beginning, uh, he even um, directed... Uh, an episode of the um, the first season is now taking over as showrunner. After the fifth episode is complete, he'll be regrouping the writing staff. I guess there was a planned uh, break that they were going to have after the fifth episode. And once they get back together, they're going to move forward. Uh, and Kurtzman should be able to keep the show going strong. He's been you know, a, a pillar in the series since it started. Kind of keeps everything uh, together. But apparently because Kurtzman uh, is... Uh, is sticking around and is also taking this role now. Um, apparently, since the beginning of season two, Akiva Goldsman uh, isn't back for the second season. He was an executive producer on the first season. Apparently, he was a key part of building sort of the, uh, the world for Star Trek Discovery, but I guess uh, he had a management style and a personality that clashed with the writing staff, is how The Hollywood Reporter words it. So there's no real specific mention as to what Kurt... Um, the beef between Goldsman and Kurtzman there might just be, they just didn't work well together in general. Um, so Kurtzman is moving full steam ahead, keeping Star Trek discovery going and this shouldn't have any impact on production delaying the season premiere or anything like that. Know, this seems kind of like a disaster to me. It seems like, uh, I don't know if, 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 if uh, Goldsman, who is notoriously not uh, easy to work with, um, can't get along with this writing staff, and you know the writing staff can't get along with uh, you know the showrunners, and like what? At what point does like CBS be like you know let's clear house and like start over? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. For me, it, it seemed like kind of a promising thing because. I feel like five years ago, maybe even three years ago, we would have heard a story about somebody, you know, verbally abusing a showrunner, ver verbally abusing writers and would have just all of us would have shrugged our shoulders and been like, yeah. well, that's sort of how it is in Hollywood, you know? So the fact that things are changing now and people are actually uh, emboldened enough to stand up and say like, hey, we don't have to put up with this garbage. Um, that's kind of an encouraging thing to me. So I think it's good on that oh, level. I, but yeah, I, I, I certainly mean, there, think it's good. Other... But what I'm suggesting, though, is it seems like, I don't know, it seems like this whole creative team is not working. Like it's that, that's very I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know. It just seems like at what point do you like you know with big companies when you you have someone come in and take over usually you know they they clean house and <laughs> replace everybody. We, we've never seen that done with like a TV show or a movie before. Well, I, I actually in a movie we have, but uh, not in a TV show. I'm just wondering, you know, how bad does something have to get for that to happen? I don't know. It just seems like it, it, all the Star Trek fans I know. Uh, you know, love that Seth MacFarlane show. What is that called? The uh, the Orville. The Orville, and they say that's a better Star Trek show than the actual Star Trek show. I don't know. I stopped watching during season one, so I can't speak about where it went in that in the second half of that season. But uh, I don't know. Maybe season two will be better now that Alex Kurtzman is at the helm, and uh, now that Akiva Goldsman, who. Uh, uh, isn't really responsible for a lot of stuff we love <laughs> um, is, is, is out of there. 
That's so. a very nice way of saying it, Peter. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to Comic-Con, because that's gearing up to happen next month. And, uh, you know, we already found out that Lucasfilm and Star Wars uh, are in Marvel are not going to be there. But uh, and now word has come that HBO is not going to be there with Game of Thrones and Westworld. So, Ben, what do we know and what is actually going to be at Comic-Con? Yeah, so Deadline reports that HBO is entirely skipping Comic-Con this year. The quote that they got from the uh, from the network is that due to production schedules and air dates for Game of Thrones and Westworld, these series will not be presented at San Diego Comic-Con this summer. Um, we look forward to returning in the future, basically. And and not only will HBO and Westworld not be showing up, but no HBO properties at all. They'll have zero presence at Comic-Con this year. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a bummer for people who are hoping maybe to dive a little bit deeper into Westworld or maybe get a, a brief hint at something Game of Thrones related. But because Game of Thrones in particular does not have a release date for 2019 yet we know that the eighth and final season is going to air sometime next year but we don't know exactly when yet um i think hbo is probably just like all right we're just going to play it safe and, and sit this one out maybe uh they'll do a, a they'll come the year after that and do like a big victory lap kind of thing but uh in terms of who will be there we are pretty sure they're going to be panels from warner brothers you know maybe we'll get something from aquaman perhaps a little bit of footage from Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, Fox is going to be there with X-Men Dark Phoenix. I imagine they'll have some something to show for X-Men Dark Phoenix. Paramount is going to be there. Bumblebee, we know, is going to have a presence, the new Transformers spinoff. And, um, and I think maybe Universal might have something there, too, although I'm not entirely certain what they would bring off the top of my head. But... Um, Chris wrote an article on the site and he listed a few things here that we know for a fact are going to be at Comic-Con. So I'll just read that list really yeah, quickly. It's a lot of TV right now. Right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the Goldbergs, Deadly Class, Doctor Who, Krypton, Night Flyers, Outlander, Iron Fist, Legends of Tomorrow, Project Blue Book, and Winona Earp will all definitely have a presence at Comic-Con this year. So yeah, like you mentioned, it's a lot of TV. It's a lot of sci-fi and... Um, and like Netflix with Iron Fist uh, and like the CW shows. So, um, so yeah, that, I mean, we're still a little ways away from Comic-Con, although it is approaching pretty quickly. We're like just under uh, or just over a month away from it now. So uh, I'm sure we're going to be hearing more in the coming days and weeks about what projects and, and uh, shows and movies are going to be showing up there. But as of right now, that's, that's basically the lay of the land. Now, has, has Sony said that they're sitting out? Because I would imagine they'll be bringing stuff for venom and spider-man into the spider-verse yes i think especially with as you called out in in when the trailer for spider-man into the spider-verse came out brad i think that's got to be like they have to have something there because they specifically mentioned the words comic-con at the end of the most recent trailer so i think i think yeah sony's got to have some sort of presence there now this sounds just like scheduling circumstances, but you know, in the last uh, over the last decade, it seems like studios have d- done like a mass exodus out of Comic Con, and TV has kind of taken over. Um, you know, we're seeing less and less. You know, Disney hasn't been there for a few years. Marvel's there, but not this year. You know, Star Wars was there once, and you know, it just seems uh, when last year in Hall H, it was mostly TV. Uh, so Brad, I know you're going this year. Uh, are are you excited about Comic Con or like is this depressing? Honestly, if anything, I'm a little more excited about Comic Con now because one of the biggest uh, problems with Comic Con has been like Hall H has been so crowded and it's been so tough 
to get in to see the biggest panels where you've had to like before you used to have to maybe wait you know the night before to get into the panels the next day but lately it's been so crowded and crazy because of how many things they're putting in hall h that you had to wait like a day and a half in advance to get in line to get a, a, a bracelet the night before just so you can get in line again in the morning and it was it's been so stressful the past you know three or four years since comic-con's been getting bigger and bigger and marvel movies have you know start grown to this be this huge thing in pop culture so if anything i feel like i'm more excited because it'll give me more time to enjoy it as a fan in addition to being there to cover it for slash film and plus you know at the end of the day like this this isn't really surprising if anything it might just be better for fans in general because i feel like what is starting to happen is a lot of these shows uh movies and stuff like that um franchises are starting to branch out and embrace their fans in like their own way so that you know i We've got D23 that embraces all the Disney fans. you got Star Wars Celebration that's for Star Wars fans. You know, uh, so, like, why worry about, you know, going to Comic-Con where you have to compete with everybody else and all of the uh, things that are around for fans of all kinds when you can just have a smaller thing and really get it out to the people that you wanted to get it out? Especially since you have to spend so much money at Comic-Con to market yourself, and you're really only marketing it to people who are already pretty much on board with what you're selling anyway. Yeah. No, I'm just wondering, you know, even though all these heavy hitters are not going to be there this year, it seems as though Warner Brothers is going to bring DC and there's a big, you know, DC fan base at Comic-Con and, you know, maybe Netflix will bring some heavy hitters and uh, all that I'm sure will be on Saturday. Uh, Do you think it's not going to be hard to get in there on Saturday this year? I mean, I don't think it'll be as nearly as hard as it has been the past few years. Um there's still obviously people who are excited to see what DC has to offer and whatnot. But yeah, I honestly don't think it's going to be that big of a problem to get into Hall H. You know, every, every, um, everyone will want to go and see the things that they want to see elsewhere. And so we've already seen how the stuff that isn't absolutely huge and has mass appeal doesn't really fill up Hall H anymore. It, it, it is funny because I run into a lot of people uh, – in like even in my magic castle circle that like go to comic-con and i bring up hall h and most of them have never even been in hall h or tried to get into hall h like comic-con to them is like a totally different thing than what comic-con is to us because we kind of like live and breathe in hall h um it's just uh kind of funny to see that other perspective of this convention Um, peter are you excited about comic-con this year i you know, I haven't been excited about Comic-Con in a couple of years, to be honest. Uh, I feel like uh, at its peak was like that year with Tron Legacy. And it just seemed like all the studios were bringing their like a game and like surprises. And uh, and now it, it seems very orchestrated. And there's like, you know, these offsite events and there's, you know, we call them activations. And that seem, even seems like boring now. Like they used <laughs> to be exciting. Like now, but now they're called activations. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I am exciting. Be- I, I am excited because uh, a lot of my friends go to Comic-Con. I get to, it's a chance to catch up with a lot of people that uh, I know outside of L.A. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I will be excited when I am in Hall H on that Saturday for, you know, the Warner Brothers panel or whatever, you know, uh, good stuff they show us on that day. But outside of that... I, I don't know. I, ben, you haven't been in a in a few years. 
Uh, yes, that's correct. Because it, has that been a, a a decision on your part? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, you mentioned like the Tron year and like the Scott Pilgrim year. You know, I, I agree. I think those were sort of the peaks in the in the most recent decade of Comic Con stuff. And I, I just think over the past, I don't know, three or four or five years or whatever it's been, it's just become more and more of a drag. And and like Brad was talking about, you have to fight so hard to even get into Hall H, and it's like what what is this all for you know like they're showing you a trailer that in the past couple years they've almost instantly put online like most places across the board i mean there have been like very very few things that debuted in hall h over the past year or two that have not instantly gone on on the youtube channel of whatever studio is is presenting it right away marvel was good at keeping it offline right yeah yeah. marvel i think is probably the these one of the only exceptions i mean even dc they were putting their stuff uh you know justice league trailers and whatever it's like those things used to it it used to matter more that you would be in hall h and and sort of sacrifice your time to see this thing that nobody else would be able to see but because these studios i think have put less um, importance on Comic-Con as an institution in the past few years, they have just, uh, instead of rewarding the people who go and, and you know, spend all the time and money and energy to be there, they're just like, oh yeah, like it's a thing now and we want to get the word out to everyone, so we're just going to put everything online, you know, basically anyway. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. But, it just but there, seemed- there is something to being in that room and, like, if, if there are... I think studios underestimate these moments, like having, you know, Tom Hiddleston come out dressed as Loki and give a speech in front of the crowd. That's something, yes, you can watch it on YouTube, but being in that room with that energy is something you can't uh, replicate. Um, That's true. But like uh, Brad said, you know, last year, I think you had to be in line on Friday morning if you had hoped to get into Hall H on Saturday. And uh, not many people can invest that much you know time while they're you know paying to take time off and go to a convention in san diego right. so uh i don't know what we'll, we'll have to see what happens with this convention uh and uh, if warner if uh hbo if, if this is just like a one-year thing like you said you know they could come back next year and do victory laps uh or you know this could be their they're out you know their first <laughs> you know maybe the, maybe they're realizing that they don't need to spend all that money mm-hmm. but uh yeah Anyways, um, let's move on to our last and final story. And this story will have some spoilers for Infinity War. So if you are one of the four people in the world who has not seen Avengers Infinity War, you can tune out now. Um, and there we go. Okay, so uh, the Russo Brothers have been doing a lot of interviews lately. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, we don't know much about it, but we do know that a lot of the characters in that movie have been killed off or erased in Infinity War. So the Russo brothers were asked about that. And uh, Brad, what did they say? Yeah, so we know Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is happening. James Gunn has talked about it. And Chris Pratt and Dave Bautista have both uh, made social media posts talking about getting ready to prepare to go back to shoot starting later this year. So for anybody who's seen Infinity War, we know that Drax and Star-Lord turn to ashes after Thanos' mighty snap. And that means if they're back in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which won't come out until after Avengers 4, then presumably Star-Lord and Drax survive the events of Avengers 4. So that takes a little bit of suspense away from the events of Avengers 4 because we don't have to worry about those characters dying in the battle to 
bring every uh, bring some people presumably back from the dead after being killed in an Infinity War. However, Anthony and Joe Russo are trying to combat what what seems like Avengers four spoilers by doing a clever bit of tap dancing. Uh, so, in a uh, interview with the Huffington Post, uh, here's what Anthony Russo had to say. Here's the thing. I think it's important to remember anything is possible in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just because there's a sequel on the books doesn't mean people have become accustomed to time moving linearly in the MCU. That doesn't mean that necessarily have to be the case. There's a lot of very inventive ways of where the story can go. And then Joe Russo tacked onto that by saying, there's four years between Guardians 2 and Infinity War. That's a long time and a lot of Guardian stories to tell. Again, as Anthony said, don't expect everything to move forward in a linear fashion in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, do you think that Guardians Volume 3 is going to take place before Infinity War? No, I don't buy that. Simply because James Gunn has already been very publicly vocal about saying Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will be the end of this trilogy he's crafted for this iteration of the Guardians of the Galaxy. So, it would seem weird if this movie marks the end of this iteration of the Guardians of the Galaxy and it takes place before the events of Infinity War where their fates are suddenly left uncertain. Like, are you really going to stop this iteration of the Guardians of the Galaxy and end with an Avengers movie? Like, that just doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. I, I, I can, we can almost guarantee that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will take place after the events of Avengers 4. And Well, you know, it should be said that Guardians 2 and Infinity War, how many years go by? Like, almost like four? Five? Yeah, he says, he says four. Four. Uh, so there is a lot of adventure to tell there. Is there the possibility that we could, for the first time, or actually not the first time in Marvel history, but uh, get like like maybe you know the first quarter or half of the movie take place between Guardians Two and Infinity War, and then it continue afterwards? I mean, is that insane? I mean, I guess not... they did it with Homecoming, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not insane, but it also doesn't preclude. It doesn't. It doesn't fix the problem that the that, that it comes about by you know having the characters be in guardians of the galaxy volume three i don't know it's like it's, it's tough well, to say. It, well it would because then you could have a lot of the characters that have you know died or disappeared be in that first half but i don't even know how you'd explain that no so knowing what james gunn like how like how he's dealing with these characters like it, it just it would feel like a disservice to these characters to do that to them the only way I can think about this working, and Peter, to answer your question, I think maybe Ant-Man and the Wasp, we're speculating that maybe that will have, you know, that's supposed to be set two years before the events of uh, Infinity War, and maybe, that we don't know, but maybe it will have something to do, maybe it'll be sort of like what you're talking about, where like some of it will be during that time, and then another part of it might be uh, after Infinity War or something like that. But I think to get around the problem that Brad is having here, which I th- agree is definitely a problem, I think the only way this might work is if uh, James Gunn's Guardian trilogy is about the group becoming a full family unit, and in Infinity War, we already see them as that unit. So if Guardians 3 is a prequel, maybe it would just be sort of like thematically continuing their growth as a family and like finally coming into... Uh, this familiarity and like this this sort of like final um, formation of of the team as we know it and as we pick up with it in Infinity War, that's the only way I can think of where a prequel would make sense and not ruin what James Gunn is trying to do on a on a thematic level. 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know how it, this is going to go, but I mean, it seems to me that they're going to have to already they're already going to have to advertise the Spider-Man Homecoming sequel, which supposedly takes place minutes after Avengers 4, you know, while, before Avengers 4 comes out. And that shows that Spider-Man is going to be alive. So I think Marvel's just going to have to deal with it. And the Russo Brothers is just trying to deflect, I think. I think Brad's right. But I don't know. So, some of the most interesting things to me in the comic book realm is all these kind of crossovers and uh, seeing events happen in two different comic book runs and, you know, the interconnections and stuff. And it, it would be interesting to see Marvel eventually do some kind of story where half of it takes place before something else and half of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, not just like the beginning or the end as mm-hmm. in, uh, Spider-Man or Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, I don't know. I, I just think it's an interesting idea, but maybe I keep on th- thinking that maybe general audiences aren't ready for that. But, you know, Infinity War, <laughs> uh, I you know, I, I would have said that they weren't ready for that ending, but they were. So, yeah, we've had like 20 movies to get used to some pretty crazy things by now. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess I hope they continue to push the boundaries. But yeah. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Brad, where can people find more of your work online? You can always find me on SlashFilm.com. And I'm also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And I've got a big dumb podcast for you to listen to called Go Flicks Yourself on iTunes and other places. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me at SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. And I also have a big dub, dumb podcast you can listen to. It's called the Not Just New Movies podcast. You can find it on iTunes and at NotJustNewMovies.com. Oh, come on now. Your your podcast is smarter than the other dumb podcast. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. It's pretty dumb. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we've talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. Uh, this podcast is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And maybe your name and email will be mentioned in the mailbag as uh, was today. Uh, Please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday.